and welcome to episode 57 of Random Encounter, the RPG fan podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Uh, joining me today, we have officially been hijacked by the newest podcast on RPG fans. So uh, they've actually tied me up, thrown me in a closet, and they're going to take over the show. So we have Steven no, and Derek here. It's more like, it's like you're a whale, and we're tiny little sea creatures that are like hanging out on your back. And we're like, oh, look at the delicious algae. And yeah, you're a whale. And then, do I have do I have to subscribe to this also this analogy as well? I think yep. so. And then eventually you guys will like get bigger than this podcast, and you'll just officially have taken over all of RPG fan. I mean, you guys basically yeah. do everything on the site right now. <laughs> That's not true, dude. I feel I, I I literally go online and like uh for for the fans like we proofread each other's work and we always kind of help each other out. And I go online and I'm like, oh, somebody needs to proofread a review. Well, Derek got to that in two seconds. All right. Uh oh, there's a soundtrack that I should work. Well, Stephen already gave that to somebody. I'm like, I can't find work. Actually, the soundtracks you've asked to cover are not picked up yet. Uh yeah, I'm doing the Nino Cooney soundtrack, aren't I? You should. All right, all right. Do you we have the review of the game too? Unless Kyle uh, does it. The mm. soundtrack won't be out until March, but as soon as it's out, I'll get it to you. Okay, well, I, at least I'll be very positive on the soundtrack. Yeah, the music is really good in that yeah, game. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. Yes, it is. So we we talked um to kind of put a ending cap on our discussion last week about uh or two weeks ago about Nino Cooney. So yeah, um. I got the third party member, and I, I listened back to the show, and I, I, I said over and over again, it'll really be the make or break point as to whether or not I'm going to finish this game after I get the third party member and I see how the combat system develops. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm done. Uh, I, yeah. I yeah. told you so. I, I, I'm going to do the I told you so dance. That's fine. So, I told you so. I told you so. I told you so. Uh, no, really. Like, man, but no, it's okay. I know, I know we weren't like arguing about it or anything but last on the last podcast you were saying that you were enjoying it a lot and i was really happy for you because <laughs> i thought god it must be nice to enjoy that game uh, no, no it's not that bad of a game but I, it does it does definitely have a lot of issues that rear their ugly heads as you get more party members and then when the combat starts to like annoy you every time you get in a fight it's like yeah. i don't want to hate on the game a lot because there are a lot of things it does right and we're going to get to that but uh i'm sorry to hear that your experience went south i think you if you're not going to play like if you're really not interested at the point that you're at um for reference rob just got to the uh the island tahiti if the viewers know that or sorry the listeners know when that is so if you're not interested in continuing like already then you probably won't want to play the rest of the game oh man i'm so bummed like the the stuff that we talked about on the last podcast about the the pathing issues with the familiars and the the really obnoxious way that this game gives you information like as soon as you finally get to that island you get the all out attack and all out defense option for your party which would have been really freaking useful in the previous boss fight before that where i was getting killed constantly cuz my party members are just useless um ah i just you know what i I think jrpgs need to stop doing that in general which is withholding features of the battle system from you until a certain point like like with final fantasy 12 you couldn't get all the gambits right away but then in the international version they gave them all to you and it's like why would you make somebody wait 20 hours into the game to have full full use of your systems well i i get your argument there steven my problem with that is that like other games that I'm playing right now, we'll, we'll talk about soon, but uh, 
sometimes it is an information overload. And I think Nino Kuni especially, there there are a lot of systems at work. There's you know different ways that you interact with your with your familiars and upgrading them and giving them equipment and feeding them. And so there's there's so many different elements to the game. But I do I do agree with you at the same time is that some things probably should have been in there. And I mean, I, I haven't played it, so I can't speak specifically to Nino Kuni, but uh, I don't think Nino Kuni is that complicated. I just think it's kind of busted. Yeah, the combat system, uh, if you rely, see, here's the stage that I'm at in the game. Um, I have the three party members that I can give them commands and tell them roughly what I want them to do. They don't listen. See, uh, but roughly, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Roughly isn't good enough when yeah. you have when you have like a two to three second window to protect yourself from an attack. It's like, no, yeah, not with, roughly. A, with a, with a real time combat... defense, right? Like I want to defend when I press that button. Yeah, and with so, a real time combat system, sorry, you really need to have that right away. Sorry, well, and and then the real time combat system gets worse because. If you, at least the stage that I'm in right now, if I tell them to, hey, do what you want, that's literally the tactic that I can give my characters, do what you want. Most, your other two party members will just use all of their magic in the span of like 30 seconds, and then you're running around with two MP. If you oh, tell so they're Donald and Goofy. Yeah, if you tell, but, but now MP recharges so slowly based on drops from enemies that you might just completely screw yourself. And then you can also tell them, hey, don't use any abilities. And then they quite literally will not use any abilities. And you'll you'll be like, well, that would have been a good time to use something. So there's like, there's no middle ground now. I was reading on message boards that eventually that starts to go away. Like it's something, I'm yeah. real cagey about it. It gets better, but I'm so frustrated with my party right now and so frustrated with the pathing of my familiars, which is a joke. Uh, honestly, the the pathing on the familiars when they're trying to do physical attacks, it's terrible. It's atrocious, yeah, it's really and bad. it should have been fixed. It, it's but the bad. MP management isn't such a problem later on, um, especially with you know the the merit stamps that you can get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess there's, there's one that'll help. Well, yeah, there's there's like one later that um, restores your HP as you walk around, so that means that you don't have to use as much healing in between battles, and your characters therefore don't have to heal as much. That would be useful. Um, and then there's uh, there's one that just ups like Oliver's MP and HP like crazy. So like at that point he never runs out. It's really late game, but mm. at that point he never really runs out. And I know that you were saying that you were having problems with Shadar. Um, there is there are a couple of basically like this game's equivalent of metal slimes. Um, I think they're called Toko Tokos. They're little green blobby dudes, and if you fight them they give you like a ridiculous amount of experience. In mm. the final dungeon, I. I could be off, but I think I want to say a regular encounter was giving like 900 experience. It might, it might be as much as like one or two thousand. I I feel like that's too much. But the Toko Tokos will give you like twenty five thousand. Whoa! So you fight one, and everybody in your party levels up three times. I just that sounds helpful. It's such a pain too, because to to get to what Derek started this conversation with. I love so many aspects of this game. I love the world. I love the art design. I like what they're trying to do with the familiars. I know that they're doing some interesting things with the dungeons. I love the interactivity with the world. Even if it is a pain to like read through that wall of text to talk to somebody and take their piece of their heart to go help somebody else. I love that. It makes me feel like I'm a part of the world. We both got the Wizards Edition and the wizard's companion that comes with it is gorgeous it makes me oh, feel yeah. makes me feel like this world is fleshed out and really thought through it's one of the most intoxicating jrpg worlds that i've ever played in and i just can't stand the combat every time i get into combat i'm rolling my eyes at this game 
I, I had the most fun with the game right after I got it because I hadn't really gotten to combat yet. And I, at first I thought that there, I, I thought surely there's going to be more nuance and it'll, and it'll get better. So I'm not worried about it at the very beginning. Cause I, I never, I never judge an RPG based on like the first hour or opening hours. Um, unless it's really, really, really bad. But, or if it's Chrono Trigger. Well, Chrono Trigger is amazing. So, yeah. But the, but Nino Kuni, like I had the most fun in Nino Kuni. I, like I explored the heck out of Motorville, even though there was nothing to explore. Um, and as soon as I got to the world map, I was like, oh my God. And I just ran around the world map and the music was awesome. And I was, I was getting emotional and then you get the wizard's companion. And I was just, I just spent forever like flipping through it and reading the little, uh, those short stories come when you do certain events. But like, I was so excited every time I got a little story. They're like little fairy tales. Yeah. And they're like, awesome. Oh, this is so cool. But then it came back to like progressing the game and I just, I love so many things about the game, but the combat was never fun after, I mean, I I would argue that it was never fun at all for me. Um, It didn't bug me as much in the beginning because like I said, I was waiting for it to open up. But later on, I was just like, why? Like there's so much potential here. Yeah. uh, I just, (sighs) don't get me wrong. I really like how people are constantly trying to get the, the real time combat in an RPG. Right. I just, I, I don't know if I maybe I'm forgetting a game off the top of my head right now, so feel free to jump in if I'm missing one. But like, I still haven't played a game that I found to be fun that used this real time combat. Like Final Fantasy XII, it's an interesting combat system. It's fully functional. I never feel like it breaks, but I just find it boring because well, it's, I, I th- it's on autopilot the whole time. I, I think the kind of system that Nino Kuni has was done right when Grandia Two came out. That's what I've heard some people say, and I've never played Grandia 2. Oh, man, oh, man. You, you'd love it. It's it's that real-time system, but with a menu, and it, it's built so that way you're supposed to be able to time things appropriately. Like, there's there's a, basically a line, and there's the wait line where your character's waiting for his turn, and then depending on your action, if you pick like, a really powerful attack, there's a sequence at the line that you have to get through a wait period where you're charging that move, and then there's the execution of that move. And if you hit somebody with a, with a heavy attack anytime they're in the charging or the actual attacking moment, you'll cancel that big attack. Mm. So you have time to actually cancel the attack. It's not like, oh, well, you fail instantly. And you can see a representation of it, and you can, you know, but that's I, not Nino Kuni. And you're not, you're not really a fan of Tails, are you? It's not the same kind of system, but if you real-time combat, like, Tails takes the cake for the yeah. most part. Yeah, I'm going like, ha- to have to try one. amazing combat, and uh, Zillia is supposed to be, be even better, so I'm like, I spent so much time playing Tales of Graces for the combat. Tales of so, the Abyss has my favorite cast ever. I'm going to have uh, to start playing Tales cast. games, apparently, because I well, am so see, But I think we told, you that, we told you this a year ago. I was like, you would love the combat in Tales of Graces. You would hate the story and characters in Tales of Graces. I liked those aspects, but you wouldn't because you're Rob. Well, I think it's also, I, I like, I, I tend to like darker types of fiction like well, don't, uh don't look at the girl with the purple pigtails in i i know and I, that's just more of a stylistic thing like i i really i you know it's a mo- reason why one of my favorite movies is alien because i really really love that kind really of stuff. good movie well yeah but i i like dark fiction i for lack of a better term and when i you know i i like anime don't get me wrong but i tend to like darker anime or or anime that's a little bit more adult oriented not that yeah no no but... i i totally see what you're saying like stuff where it's you know, it's not just all like super happy, peppy, and lightly optimistic. It's 
a little more realistic. Right, and then I and then I complete I realize I'm completely contradicting myself because I love Nino Cooney because there's something magical about it. Like I, I guess I like it when it's done right, when it's done with like an air of genuineness. And I feel like Nino Cooney is very genuine in trying to you know, recreate this childhood-like atmosphere and this sense of wonder, and I think it's very genuine in that. I just, man, I do not have fun playing this game. And I, I again, I don't want to be completely negative on it because there, the world is so much fun and so enticing and and enjoyable. But yeah, that combat. Yeah. I feel I like I, I would. It's it's a good game that I think is overshadowed by a lot of really hard to overlook issues, like. Yeah. A couple of core things that just make me go like, oh, this game could have been perfect. But then they did those things. But I would say that my overall thoughts on the game are positive. And to our listeners, I feel like last time we came off as really negative on the game. And I just want to say that I think all of us enjoyed it to a certain extent. And we're not trying to hate on it. And God knows, like, I wouldn't hate on Japanese RPGs as a genre because that's my thing. But it's a good game. It just it has some issues. and I, I can't can't look past him. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, what what sours me on the game has nothing to do with the actual game. It's that anytime somebody on the internet expresses an opinion that this game isn't the best thing ever made, people like attack them. Like it's a JRPG. What did you expect? And I'm like, no, no, no. Go play Shadow Hearts. Go play Digital Devil Saga. That's a perfectly paced JRPG. Yeah, but, I think I'm gonna have to go back to those games. And, and maybe now since we've got like this nice little lull. Between, I, I got to be honest. I don't think I'm gonna play any more Nino Cooney because I'm just not enjoying it. So I'm kind of thinking that maybe now with this lull until like the next game I get is probably gonna be Bioshock Infinite. I can put some time into Shadow Hearts. I can maybe give Digital Devil Saga another try. That again, I, I just played those games that. I decided to play these really old school JRPGs at the start of the school year as a teacher, and I, I wow. literally couldn't be dumber than that. And then, meanwhile, during the vacations, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I'll get to that. I, I, I here's here's how bad I am. I got to almost the exact same point in Okami that I did when I played it five years ago. <laughs> I on Okami HD, I got to the winter area. I know that I maybe have four to five hours left in that game, and I just stopped again. And I, I'm so mad at myself. That's the game I need to beat right now and just be done with it because that game I love. Uh, but maybe if Nino Cooney isn't going to grab me, then I get to go back to playing Shadow Hearts and uh, Digital Devil Saga, and then we can do some more retro episodes because that's what people want. Uh, I want to do it. We're, uh, we're, we're thinking about doing – well, I'm thinking about doing a Shadow Hearts episode for the music show too. So cool. maybe, we can, maybe we can do a, a double up. Ooh, ooh, you guys are just stealing all of our thunder. So I don't want to talk about games that uh, frustrate me right now. So uh, instead, I want you guys to frustrate me at the fact that I can't play Fire Emblem Awakening because I don't have a 3DS. Or we could talk about how Steven started the game on Lunatic. Because Steven is a lunatic. He is a lunatic. Everybody on Twitter told me that. They were like, it's called Lunatic because you're a lunatic, man. Steven, you are yeah. nuts when it comes to games, dude. You are like the hardest of the hardcore, and you frighten me. No, I'm not, though. Yes, I you just, are. Dude, you are. What what mode, before we talk about System Shock 2, what mode are you playing System Shock 2 on? Impossible. Okay, what mode do you play Deus Ex on? <laughs> the, the highest one. I don't remember what it was. And uh, mm. what are you playing Devil May Cry on right now, as I see in the Steam window that you're actually playing it right now? Nephilim, because you can't start a Dante Must Die mode. Yep. I'm seriously going <laughs> to... <laughs> All right, whatever. You know what though? Here's why. Think of the think of Prince of Persia, the reboot, the beautiful reboot. I don't want to. 
And then think the of one how that, that just game looked like Final Fantasy. <laughs> no, it was gorgeous, and it had great platforming. And they removed all semblance of difficulty from it, and it made the game completely boring. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, I made the. Like, What's that? I said that's that's an extreme. Yeah, of course there was like no challenge in that game because there was no way to die. I would agree. Uh, and you have to play everything on crazy, Steven. I, I, I'm <laughs> okay with dying in a video game, except when it makes me lose progress. And that's that's where, like, Dark Souls doesn't tick me off because I die in that. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just get back to that area. But, like, if I died in Fire Emblem, where people have permadeath, I think I might lose my mind. Rob, I'm pretty sure, like, as I'm playing Lunatic Mode and I restart a mission for the 30th time because uh, any of my characters gets killed in one hit... Um, except for Frederick, I'm sitting there going, Rob would kill this game to death. Well, uh, okay. He lunatic. Well, uh, right, right, right. So uh, be- before we, we really get into to, to too much of the minutia of Fire Emblem, let's let's establish what this is. This is like the 37th Fire Emblem game. I think it's Fire Emblem 11. <laughs> yeah, 11. And how many? But I'll we have, go with 37. We, we've gotten a fair number of them in America, uh, but th- this is kind of the new one um, on the 3DS. Again, permadeath features. There seems to be relationships in the game, too, in terms of getting people married. Yes, yes. Going for a little bit of Fantasy Star 3 in this game. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really deep. How do they deal with the fact that a character, two characters get married and then their child comes along? Spoilers! Okay, spoilers. spoilers. Never mind. Never spoilers. Mind. But I, I, will I, say I don't that... want to say it because people will get mad, but does yeah. Lavos go back in time and like yes. rip them through a t- uh, yep. time compression? Yep. Yep, Lavos is actually the main character. He is Lavos. Ooh. And um yeah, the final mission is just you annihilating the world. It's pretty cool. I'm I'm quite all right with that. Uh, but no, the No Square Enix, we don't want a Lavos spin-off for iOS. Oh god. <laughs> I was going to oh, say oh. yeah, I do, but not for iOS. So tell uh, me, tell me about Fire Emblem. How why is this game so awesome? Why are people It is a good flipping? game. All right, well, for starters, it has what I love about a lot of RPGs like the Tales games, Xenoblade, um Basically, whenever your characters fight in battle, you can pair them up, and basically they become one unit, and the the lead unit, who's the one that actually does the attacking, gets some bonus stats, and then there's a chance that, oh, you're hitting this guy. Oh, he's only got five health left. The other guy will zoom in and and finish him off. Um, And the more you interact with units that are around you, and they can assist each other when they're together and stuff, um, you build up your affinity with them. It's like a social link in Persona, only I, I don't think it's quite as elaborate. And the more you use those characters, the better bonuses they get from using each other. And then between battles, you unlock conversations between them that show them developing as friends. And um, it's cool and because every potential pair has unique dialogue. Exactly. And every single character in the game can match up with every other character. So you have the potential for just hundreds of different character development opportunities. And with male and female characters, even your avatar, if you're a male or a female, you can choose if you want to be a male or female and the protagonist the main guy Krom you can get to S rank with everyone else it's with with people of the same gender it's only to A rank but if you get to S your characters actually get married uh wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute the main character is named Krom mm-hmm. Google Krom Google Krom uh, I, 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 I can't stop thinking about Conan right now it's like <laughs> it's C H R O M is Conan K R O M uh, I'm not even sure, but I just love that scene where he's just like, Krom! And like Schwarzenegger's like, if you don't help me, then to hell with you! To hell with you! That's just all that's in my head right now. Um, that's okay. I'm, I can live with that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really great way that a lot of RPGs have started doing where it ties your, you know, your progress in the, the story of your characters into 
your actual combat ability. Yeah, I love that in Xenoblade, and I loved it in Persona. I, I totally agree with you. That breaks down that barrier between narrative and gameplay that is really starting to irritate me. Like, that, that's really starting to get stupid, and I, I want more of that in games. And this idea that characters can get married and, and I now have their offspring as, like, part of my party, like, that's very, very cool. And yeah, and what's what's cool is it you, you mentioned Fantasy Star Three. Fantasy Star Three, it was pretty canned. There were only so many pairs you could have. Right. You know, it, it was a little more limited because you'd get married in the first generation to one of two girls, and then you get married in the second generation to one of two girls. And whereas in this, since I mean, it's not limitless, but since any male can marry any female, and you get you get extra missions. I believe I haven't gotten to that point yet because you know, mm-hmm. in a week. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, but you get optional missions where you encounter the, the children and you get them. So you have tons of missions that you can't possibly get all in one playthrough. Tons of characters. So you could, I mean, it, it seems to me, just from where I am in the game now, that you have just tons of replayability to see all these there different is. characters. But as far as I know, the way it works is like um, every, the, the child that you get is dependent on the mother. Like every mother produces a specific child, but they take on like hair color of the dad. Or possibly okay. other traits, but so it's like each female unit has like a child that's always going to be the same name. I think it's always the same name, um, but they'll look different depending on the dad. Cool. Okay. Cool. Now, um, we've had lots and lots of discussions on the editors board about what, and I'm not just trying to get XCOM into the dis- the discussion. Please don't read me wrong on that one. No, but it's, no, it's relevant. I think it's yeah. I think it's definitely relevant to this game. My. XCOM would have been my game of the year last year if it didn't cheat wholesale and didn't completely break at points. Uh, I think in XCOM's defense, trying to do ranged combat into a a turn-based strategy game is really, really difficult. And so you have this, like, how the hell did he just make that shot through, like, around a corner, through three pieces of cover, and critical my guy, and kill him in one hit with permadeath on? How does Fire Emblem feel like how do, for example, uh, XCOM does this really stupid thing where you encounter the enemies like you don't see them on the board until you run into them. Then the enemies get a move turn where they get to get behind cover and then you engage them in Fire Emblem. Is it very much like the old school Final Fantasy tactics like you see all the enemies on yeah. screen at the very start? Yeah, it's like it's like uh, Advanced Wars or other Fire Emblems where, you know, you're on the map. And from the get-go, when you get access to the planning menu, it shows you, you can see every enemy on the map. You can see everything on the map. Um, the only thing is that sometimes after you get through a certain point in a mission, reinforcements will arrive. Right, right, right. So They've got to pepper get, it with stuff like that. Yeah, but from, you are ha- in my opinion, you have access to all of the tactical information you need at any moment. You know exactly how much damage an attack's going to do unless they crit. And you know the percent chance they're going to crit. You know the exact percent chance you're going to hit. You know how much damage the enemy's going to do countering you, unless he crits, you know, and then you factor in skills and stuff. So I, I have... It fairly honest, too. It's not like, oh, the enemy has a 1% chance to hit. Crit! Well, I mean, in my opinion, every tactical RPG is like that, except for Final Fantasy Tactics, because it's like, oh, yeah, I have a 10% chance to hit. Or the enemy has a 10% chance to hit. Critical hit, you're dead. Uh, that's what really drove me nuts about XCOM was the, this turn phase and how the the game really 
emphasized uh, using um, flanking attacks. But then the game would punish you because you would try to go around and flank an enemy and then maybe run into another group of enemies. And it's like, well, why did I try to use that tactic? And somebody's got to argue, oh, it's risk versus reward. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand because then you will start losing characters just because you try to do something like that. So to, to go further with that, does Fire Emblem how, – how what makes Fire Emblem hard? Because I'm, I'm having a hard time. If the game can't screw you with enemy placement necessarily – what makes it hard? Is it just like on the harder difficulty on like Lunatic to the enemies just hit really, really hard? Uh, regarding the regular mode, I'm going to let Derek answer that. Or mm. not the regular mode, but the not Lunatic mode. Um, for me, I don't really find hard mode that difficult because the first few battles are fairly low impact. Like the game is teaching you how to play. And then you unlock the ability to play side missions and DLC missions, which you can grind endlessly and sack your party. So I don't really think it's that hard. It's just you really have to be mindful of the you know the weapon pairings. Like you could have a really powerful knight who takes no damage from anybody except that one guy with a hammer because hammers pierce armor and he'll one shot you. So you really have to be mindful of where an enemy can move um, and that sort of thing. In lunatic mode, everyone kills everybody in one hit, and it's, it's uh. yeah. I'm gonna remember this in your next all caps rage on Twitter, which will be like today. So it. it so it's kind of like the lunatic mode. It doesn't. It doesn't just make because this is what XCOM did that drove me nuts. Was it just made my guys miss a hell of a lot more and made the enemies hit me a hell of a lot more. So this game is basically making it okay. Everybody is all. They're all equally deadly. Yeah, like the enemies still take multiple hits to kill you, but the thing is, like you, you hit just as often. It's just everything has more HP. But the enemy, it's definitely, to an extent, it definitely is the enemies just hit a lot harder. Okay. You don't miss anymore. It's just, basically the way it boils down is you can kill an enemy very quickly, but any of those enemies can kill you instantly too. And if you're trying to play without losing anybody, that makes it literally, you have to be very, very specific with what you do. Yeah. my uh, One of my colleagues pointed it out because uh, I was telling him about just this rage-inducing moment playing that game. And he was like, well, Rob, at the end of the day, you remember that, and because of the way the game mechanics work, it, it made a story, it made a narrative, and it's something that you're going to carry with you for that game forever. And I was like, yeah, there is truth in that. I, I do get that, but it's very, very hard to make, I feel, a strategy game that feels fair without like the what's, what Derek's getting at, like the, oh yeah, ten per you only have a 1% chance to hit me, and a .001% chance to crit, oh, and my guy just died. And that, that to me feels like a screw job. And so if everybody's hitting each other equally hard, and it is more about enemy placement and about knowing when, when to properly attack, I think that's why I never felt that Final Fantasy Tactics, except for the one battle at the guillotine with all, or at the hanging square. Yeah. Yeah, where they just show up like 80 million time mages and they just slow your entire party down. That was the one fight in that game that I felt like, okay, I'm getting screwed here. I, uh... I would say that lunatic mode is not fun for what most people would consider fun because for me it's more stress than anything else. And um like Good. literally it's it's restarting every couple every couple seconds. Like Rob, I don't think you'd like lunatic at all. I, I can already say like, I I'm sure I wouldn't. I'm it's, sure it's I wouldn't. A, yeah, it's a colossal time sink and I don't really feel like I'm playing the game the way other people are playing it like Oh, I'm having a lot of fun building my party to do this and do that. Whereas right now, I mean, 
it opened up a lot more once I got to the planning menu and the ability to, you know, grind my characters up a little bit. Uh, but the first five missions are incredibly difficult because there is a certain degree of luck involved. I got yelled at on the board by some guy for saying there was luck involved, but there is luck involved in Lunatic where, like, you have to send your one super powerful unit out to attract all of the enemies so they all start hitting him. And if one of those enemies crits him, you're dead. Like, you, there's nothing you can do. And your other units can't come in to help because while they'll kill an enemy unit, yes, the other five will immediately say, I can kill that guy in one hit and go kill him. Mm. I, um, I don't. I don't even know if I could play this game with permadeath. I, I, someone's probably going to say like, "Oh, oh, Simon's not hardcore or anything like that." But like, I, that takes an, an insane amount of discipline to play a game with permadeath or a game where, you know, you screw up. Like, I, there's a reason I don't play Dead Space Two on impossible mode, where like you only get two save spots. I, there's a reason I, I didn't play The Witcher Two on dark mode. I, I well, can't do that. I can't. I can't invest time in something and then have it spit right back in my face and feel like wow i just lost all that i, I definitely totally think understand that's, that yeah i think that's a fact that that really is a factor depending on what kind of player you are like i didn't play with the witcher 2 when it had the dark mode where your save would get deleted i had the mode where you could turn off the save deleting because at that point i'm i'm not on board like it's like diablo i love difficulty but i'm not going to play hardcore mode in diablo because i don't want all the time i spend in the game deleted because i screwed up once right and, and i think the other key thing that I, I don't know about fire emblem so let me ask about this do you feel like you can recover if you lose a character do, do you have the ability to go out and recruit new people into your party and yeah. can you recover from something that completely gets you like there that? are tons of characters and you can only bring seven to a battle okay so it's not like i mean you could theoretically have everybody die but yeah well okay well i, I was gonna I was trying to come in on a point that you made a while ago, and I'm almost, I've almost forgotten what I said. Was, what I was going to say, um, you were asking how like, it feels challenging and fair at the same time. Yeah. I feel like when you're playing on... Um, like I, I'm playing on normal. I'm playing on normal classic, so I have permadeath on. And I feel like everything is balanced so that if you know what you're doing, you can make it through. Or, I don't really think you have to be lucky, but as long as you're really careful you can make it through a map without losing a single character, right? So, like, that's how they're balanced. So I feel like when you play casual, that completely destroys any balance in a bad way. Like, yeah, if you're tactical, you can make it through and, like, you know, maybe one character will have a close shave or whatever. But, like, if you're playing on casual, just blitz. Throw all yeah, your like characters it, at them. It doesn't matter. Like, Yeah, like, and, it kind of kills the challenge. And I, I actually, like, I got to chapter, I don't know, like, six um on classic and I, I got frustrated on a fight so i was like oh, forget this i'm gonna restart on casual and just see how it goes i was bored out of my mind like it was so easy there was no like i was sending weak units and they were just like hitting for four and then the enemy would hit them back and he'd be like oh they died that's fine they'll be back next yeah. battle like yeah it's not like final fantasy tactics so do you get the opportunity to save somebody if they die in battle? Because that's no. another big. No. Oh no! If they if they if they get down to zero health, they're gone forever. But, There's nothing the you thing, can do. But the game is built so that you can keep that in mind. Like you know for a fact, you're, it, it requires you to say, okay, Krom, who's like a he's a lord, so he uses like a rapier and stuff. He you know he does pretty decent damage, but he only has. I mean you know early in the game he has like twenty health. So you know, okay, there are guys around here that. You can see how much damage they'll do. You know, all right, if this guy hits Krom, they're going to do 18 damage twice. So I'm not going to send Krom out to kill this one unit while he's in range of that other enemy. 
Exactly. Because, but if because you're that enemy casual, then go ahead. Yeah, if you're playing a cat, I, I think well, unless cat, it's Crom, Crom yeah, can't die. Yeah, Crom so. can't die. But uh, yeah. you know, the game is built so it it never feels cheap. Like lunatic mode feels cheap because I don't understand the game as well, and because there is a little luck involved. But I started playing on hard mode too, and it felt a lot easier because I've been playing a lunatic. And but you still like you have to make a tactical choice. It's not like oh well, bleh, I'll just send that guy out there. But conversely, it's not unfair. It's not like oh man, that guy got four extra turns and killed me. Like you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, and I I feel like the I feel like permadeath is actually a pretty integral part of the experience because like I'm just like you, Rob. At, at least you were saying that you don't like to lose progress. Like I hate losing progress. I hate doing like working on a map for an hour and then having somebody one-shot a character and have be like, oh, I have to restart, because I'm like that. But at the same time, like, like there's no challenge on, on casual, at least on casual normal, maybe on hard. But it's then it, it, it kind of come, becomes like a different sort of strategy, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah. In classic, it's like very carefully like, okay, I, don't, I can't lose a single one. And on casual, it's like, well, I could lose several as long as it's not crom. It becomes um, a lot more like Shining Force, if you ask me, where, you know, you can send everyone to their death and, w- and win by the skin of your teeth, and it's still a victory. Right, right. And I, I get that. I, I'm wondering, like, I'm remembering Final Fantasy Tactics and how if somebody went down, you could go over and save them in three turns. You'd have to get a, me- uh, a chemist mm-hmm. over to them and use a phoenix down. Do you think that a system like that might have helped and maybe... No. Uh, no. because I I agree with you guys. I'm throwing it out there because I actually agree with you because I think I had it happen like one time in Final Fantasy Tactics where I didn't get to somebody in time and it was because it was just like a lowly archer that I didn't care about I was like whatever I, I don't care and I, my chemist is already knocked out so yeah screw no, it whatever I, I think, go ahead I think I'm sorry it, oh no no it's no problem I, I think part of it is with Final Fantasy Tactics you have mostly generic units where it's they're they're not part of the the world. Right. Whereas in Fire Emblem, if you were able to say, you know, it, these are all characters. So when somebody dies, you have, okay, I can't marry that person anymore. I'm not going to see any more dialogue from that person. They're gone from my game. So that's the the game is saying to you, if so, you have to prioritize your characters because they're actually people that you don't want to die. How does the game deal with like story characters being killed? Are they just not in the story anymore? Can it deal with that? Yeah, well, because um, the the only really integral character is Crumb, and then I think like if a character who's required for the story dies, even in hardcore mode, I think that character just retires from the battle. Like mm-hmm. I had Fred. Whenever Frederick dies in my lunatic mode, he doesn't say, "Oh, I'm dead." He says, "Forgive me, I have to retreat for now," and he disappears from the battle. Okay. So okay. I think it just doesn't let characters like that uh, die. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But it other does... characters can completely disappear. Like I I lost two characters in one battle, and. Uh... I, it was at the point, I was like chapter 12, and I was like, you know what? I gotta live with this. I'm just gonna let this happen. And I think that's actually, it was it was kind of uh, liberating to do that, to be like, it sucks that they died, but damn it, I'm gonna keep going. Like, this is life. This is death. No, this I, is Fire Emblem. I give you guys credit for being able to do that, because I, man, I it's like I want to do that. I, I tried to play hardcore or whatever it was, a classic mode on XCOM, and after three hours where I lost my sniper in one shot because he blew up his own piece of cover at the end of his turn, and then the enemy criticaled him and one-shot at him, I just stared at the game, and I was like, no. No, that's not right. Like, what sniper is going to blow up his own piece of cover? I think that's why 
I think that's why XCOM doesn't work as well as what I hear you guys talking about with Fire Emblem because XCOM doesn't explain its rules very well. There's a lot of trickery that can go on. I've had enemies just spawn on top of me in XCOM, and I'm like, well, that's not fair. Like, at the end of my turn, I've had a freaking cyber disc just right on top of me, and I literally couldn't kill it in one turn. So, well, he's going to kill two dudes. So I I think it's hard, and and if Fire Emblem is giving you all of that information, and it really does become a tactical experience, I think that's... Maybe I could play it on permadeath, but I'm still like, I don't know. I might be too much of a a wuss to do it. It, It's different from uh, XCOM, though, because... In Fire Emblem, it's not like like something shocking will never happen to you, and you'll be like, "Oh, my guy died! I didn't expect that." It'll be, "Oh, I should have seen that guy there." Like, I I don't think Fire Emblem ever feels cheap to me. I would I'd be interested to see you play XCOM, Steven. I I don't know what your reaction would be because I I think you would play it on like super hardcore and classic <laughs> mode, and then you would see that all it is is that the enemies just hit you more often. And that, to me, is artificial difficulty. It's not like the enemies are using new tactics to make things difficult. Do, do the Fire Emblem enemies, do you feel like the tactics are changing between well, Hard and Lunatic? Not so much, because it's just a matter of the enemies always use the same tactics. They prioritize. They're not going to go hit Frederick if he has a weapon that's strong against them, knowing that he's going to insta-kill them. They're going to go, if the healer is in range, they're going to go kill the healer. Okay, okay. And it's always they always prioritize that. And your relative unit strength is is the same in Lunatic. It's just that it's like it. You know, it's a good example because you guys made fun of me for playing Devil May Cry right now. It's like Dante. It's like uh, Hell and Hell mode. You die in one hit. Yeah, except for Frederick. Well, I I definitely want to uh, to play this game. I I hope to have a 3DS maybe by the summer, and maybe that'll be like my summer recreational game because I. Man, that that 3DS is now looking very attractive with all the announcements that came out hey, this week. Right oh, now on uh, Newegg selling them for 140 right now. What? Yep. Uh, XLs. Mm, I think regulars. No. Yeah, well, I I have an XL now, and I couldn't go back to a regular at this point. But I think that the regular 3DSs have like a way nicer aesthetic. They're like they're a lot less cheap looking. They feel way more solid in your hand. But the bigger Which screen, ones? man, the the original 3DSs, I think they feel better. Ah, uh, they 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 just feel like nicer. But the XLs are bigger, so it's up to you. Oh, but I but I want to go big or go home. That's what. <laughs> <clears throat> Never mind. Oh, it's ah. Uh... To all the listeners, don't get married because it just it, it kills your wallet, and that's painful. And your fiance is gonna listen to this and be like, "What? Well, he she said got, what? She got a dog. I don't want to hear it." But <laughs> yeah, well, you, then you get she a got 3DS. a dog. You get a 3DS. Well, that did. <sighs> and every married person in the audience right now is going, "Yeah, guys, no." Yeah, that's not how it works. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, th- I think we'll have more Fire Emblem to talk as we, we get more and more into it. Uh, I, I kind of like the idea of just like with Nino Cooney coming coming back to it after you guys have had a little bit more experience. So are we cool with Shelvin Fire Emblem for right now and yeah. coming back to it? Yep. Yeah, it's going to be driving me insane tonight anyway. So yeah, you, you, dude, you are a I'm masochist. I hear about it. I'm I think get a text I think that like honestly. <laughs> I do. I wake Derek up when he's on, like got a got school at seven in the morning, and I'm like, <laughs> 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 I'm 
No, it's literally sometimes my Twitter rages are just in unintelligible raging. Like I read one and I was like, wow, did I really write that? It was just me like swearing profusely and I said something along the lines of Frederick blah, critical. Blah. Is this kind of like whenever David Cage talks and I rage on our message boards? I think it's, <laughs> a little it's bit similar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can, we, can we talk about that in news just for like two seconds? What what he uh, said? That I, seems I, I, relevant. He's David Cage. We cover him. Yeah, it did annoy yeah. me a little bit, but uh, yeah. So the big news this week in good old games, uh, they announced and then released in the span of forty eight hours, uh, System Shock Two. Which, holy crap, have I been playing the hell out of that? <laughs> yeah, no fooling, right? right? Dude, I... A pathetic creature of m- m- meat and m- bone. Uh, so System Shock 2 came out in 1999. So this is an old game, and the enemies look like deformed origami figures. Like, it, it is not an attractive-looking game, but for those that played Bioshock, uh, even Bioshock 2, which I, I think had problems, but was still a pretty solid game... This game is the precursor to all that. It has way more RPG elements. That's why we covered it back in the day. That's why we're still covering it now. For 10 bucks, you're getting, finally, because it was really hard to get this game running on uh, current PCs, you're getting... And the rights were tied up, too. Yeah, the rights were a mess. Uh, hats off to these guys for finally getting this game out on GOG. Apparently, it's going to be out on Steam soon. Please... Really? Yeah, it's gonna, they're going to do a Steam version as well. Um, that's I think they have like a month or two of exclusivity with good old games. If you really want to play what... I mean, this is my first time playing this game. I never played it back in the day. And I've got to say that this game has aged remarkably well. I'm having a huge amount of fun with it. It is atmospheric. It is spooky. It It is all... F- full of player agency and figure out how to get through this and three distinct character classes and different ways to complete objectives. I'm having a ball with it. I am really like, uh, we talked before about Deus Ex and how I didn't really feel like that. I felt like that game was clunky to begin with. And now it just, it was hard to play by current standards. Thief, I could see what they were doing, but like the environments were really bland and hard to look at and hard to tell what was like, what areas you were in on the map. System Shock 2 is like, this feels, it looks like an old game, but it feels very current in terms of like, you're in this environment, this environment has different aspects to it, everything looks unique in terms of where things are on the ship. It is just, wow. This game is really, really cool. Now, I I dig it. Back in the day, I was, one of my good friends told me to play it back in the day, before I was really into PC gaming, and I played it in co-op with a friend, and because we were stupid kids, we were like, oh, this game sucks, I don't play anymore. And I never really thought much more of it. But like I heard over the years of what a reputation it had, and so now that I bought it and I'm playing it again, I can see how great it is. Um, it, I agree with most of what you said. You know, it just it feels great. You know, the combat, especially the melee combat, feels clunky, but that's just because of the time it comes from. Yeah. And I, I know my friend who's beaten it a zillion times says that the three classes are not evenly balanced because certain tasks or certain abilities are much more useful than others yeah. in the grand scheme of the game. Like, I've, I've heard it's very difficult to play a Psy-focused character. I, st- I started as Psy, and within about a half hour, I said, that's enough. And I switched over to the uh, Navy guy who's kind of like the hacker. Yeah, and, he's, he's a hacker with some guns. Yeah, and I, I'm starting to like that a lot. Um, but I didn't mean to cut you off. Keep going. No, no, I was say I actually, I, I picked Navy as well. Um and just the game has an atmosphere. Like we were saying earlier, it doesn't rely on jump scares, which is part of the reason why the horror has aged well. Like if you play the first Resident Evil now, 
the dog scene is hysterical. When we were kids, <laughs> the dog scene was terrifying. The dog scene was, I'm buying a PlayStation. Now the dog scene is, wow. Yeah. Whereas System Shock, there's no jump scares. It's just, oh, yeah, you're standing there. All of a sudden, behind you, you hear, kill me. And, like, you know, dudes are running all over the place. And the, the audio logs are immaculately voiced. You know, this is, this is, you'll play it and you'll see where Bioshock came from. Yeah. I don't want to talk too much about it because we, we've gotten a lot of requests for retro shows. And I, I would really like to do a retro podcast about this game. So I think we're, we're going to kind of shelve it right now. But, you know, go out. If you haven't already, play System Shock 2. And, you know, maybe in two weeks we'll do a retro uh, show about it because, wow, the, this game, as someone who loves, I love love Bioshock. Bioshock Infinite is my most anticipated game of this year. Uh, this game is really, really special. Really, really cool. Still current. There's mods that you can download to get this game to work, but I, I'd like us to talk more about it here in like maybe two weeks. I'm now, very, the, very happy. One thing I want to I wanna just, what, to what you said, you can get mods to customize the game, but the GOG version works without any hitches. And yes, it, yes. It, it includes the, the, the user mod that makes the game run at a modern resolution. So if you want to play it out of the box, no hassle. It's 10 bucks on GOG. The rights to this game are tied up like a butt. So buy this thing from GOG, buy it from Steam, so that way somebody can get the rights to make a third one because that's the only way it's going to happen. Well, you know that the original Dead Space was supposed to be a System Shock game, right? Well, for a little while, yeah. Yeah, for like, for like a two-week period back in like 2003. But like they... they that was a re- and you can see that influence on Dead Space and I think what's so spe- I know I said we were going to shelve the conversation but I just had to say one more thing like I've gotten to the point where the ship is really open to me now the the Von Braun is very open and I can go around the environment and this is what I loved about the mansion in Resident Evil this is what I love about Planet Zebus in Super Metroid I love these environments and feeling like I'm in a place and exploring I mean th- these are my type of games I love exploration and video games and feeling like I'm finding nooks and crannies th- this game is like the precursor to 3D versions of all of that stuff yeah definitely Really, really cool. So, yeah, we'll we'll talk more about System Shock too. Derek, you need to get it so we can all play three player co op, and it'll just be madness. Is that a thing? Yes, you can play four player co op in this game. Now it's nuts. There's a caveat because the multiplayer in the game has historically been known as being very broken, and I tried oh. to play it with a friend last night, and we could not get it to work. It just kept locking up. So, don't assume it will go off without a hitch. And I know mm. a lot of fans of the game get mad when you say I'm going to play it for the first time in co op because they go, "That's not how you're supposed to play this game." Yeah, I would play it in co-op for fun. I think Steven and I are definitely going to try it, but I, I would play it in co-op for fun. I would not play it because the first time you play this game, man, it is creepy. And uh, Steven, what mode are you playing it on? Impossible. I, you are just... He's s- playing in well-tall mode. He's going to stand tall and shake the heavens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going I'm to say that for now. What mode are you playing well-tall mode? I want to shake the heavens. Yeah, I'm not. Pl- I don't play high difficulty, so I can be like, oh, I'm a, I'm a badass. I played a high difficulty. It's just I, I, I don't get as engaged in an experience if it's not really challenging to me. Like if I feel like anybody could just go and like, oh, I beat that mode. Yeah, it's no big deal. I'm like, well, why did I do it? Yep. Uh, also, uh, as we we kind of move away from System Shock 2, we will talk about it again. But uh, uh, it's kind of one of the big things in the news right now has been uh, the Aliens Colonial Marines d- debacle. And obviously that's not an RPG and we're not going to talk about it. But uh, I picked up for $10 on Amazon 
I got Aliens Infestation for DS, which is supposedly a Metroid-style game with the Alien license that has gotten... What? Yeah, and it's gotten very good reviews. Uh, How have I not even heard of that? Dude, it, it just kind of came out. And, like, Jim Sterling and uh, Jeremy Parrish were very positive on it. Apparently it's not a perfect game, but it's like, th- this is the game. So if you're thinking about spending $60 on Aliens Colonial Marines, can you just go onto Amazon and buy this dang game for 10 bucks? Like, please, Aliens Infestation. Like, don't, please don't support bad releases and little games like that. The only reason I bought it, because uh, I don't really have the money for it, but I bought it because I was like, well, I don't want this to be one of those DS games that is then $80 four years from now. That's like impossible. Choice on that one. Dude, it, 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 I'm very excited to try it. Uh, but yeah, just, just kind of a little PSA out there. I, I think that's one thing that I'd like to do more of on this show is like when games are, I think it's awesome when games become like collectibles. Like I remember trying to find uh, a copy of Final Fantasy VI way back in the day and my buddy spending like $80 at Funko Land for it. <laughs> So that that's just one of those cool things. So and I think Nino Cooney falls in that category too, especially like the Wizards edition, like to have these these pieces of gaming nostalgia and to go along with that, I, I was worried like should I pick up Fire Emblem Awakening right now because mm. it might be hard to find down the line, but isn't mm. it available on the eShop? I, yeah, it's on the it's on I, the eShop. I think that they I, they definitely undershipped the game. Right, and uh, I don't really know what they were thinking with that. Like, oh, we're going to actually market it and then be surprised when it sells. Uh, yeah, especially like, on like, the 3DS. Right, and like I bought it digitally because I was impatient, and you know I hate buying games digitally when I have the option of going physical. But it, at that point, it was like it was the the week that it released. It released on Sunday night, and I was up, and people were like, "Oh my god, it's up!" Like on Twitter, everybody's like, "Oh my god, you guys fire and limbs up!" And I was like, "Well, crap." You got my copies of hype. I did, because my copy wasn't supposed to arrive until Friday of that week, and I was like, I can't wait five days knowing it's up now. Yeah, what, so, what was this five days? Yeah, so... I, I had to wait over a week. But, but I don't think... I know. But, um, so I don't think... I don't think it's going to be rare. I could see them, like, reprinting it or something. Or I mean, it's never going to be... It's never going to cost that much, even if you... Even if the physical edition gets rare, I guess, because there's always going to be a digital, at least for a while, so... Yeah, yeah. Atlas did a really good job of re-releasing a bunch of their PS2 titles, but, like, I I have my deluxe edition of Demon's Souls, and I love that thing. And with with the little mini strategy guide, and that's just stuff I really like to hold on to. And so, and and I agree with Derek. Like physical media, when it comes to games, like I'm fine with all my games on Steam because I can re-download them all the time. But there's a reason why I bought the special edition of Bioshock Infinite on the Irrational Store because that that to me is a game I want to hold on to. That's that's a piece that like I want to put that in my my office and just like have that say something about me. So that, I don't know, it's just weird stuff like that sometimes. So, you know, every once in a while I'll go online and go. I wouldn't say it's go, weird. Don't, well, don't devalue yourself and your hobbies. Oh, thank you. It's Every once in a while I just see something online and I go, yeah, I would like to have that. And so this this was an instance of that. So Aliens Infestation, uh, definitely go pick that up instead of the <laughs> Aliens Colonial Marines. <laughs> Any- like Can I use that in writing? Can I start uh, describing how things? How would you as- spell that? <laughs> spell that. I don't know. I'm good, right. I'm good at spelling strange sound effects. Like, omdach. Omdach. <sighs> so should we move on to news or do we have anything else to talk about mm, well we were going to talk about the Etrian Odyssey 4 demo a little bit I don't know that there's a ton to say about it other than it's a really good demo um, if you guys aren't familiar uh, Atlas put out this demo for Etrian Odyssey 4 on 3DS and it actually lets you carry over your save to the full game 
which comes out um, on the 26th of this month. It, uh, this podcast will probably be up before that. Um, but the demo gives you access to um, two dungeons, like one single floor dungeon, and then it lets you get to the end of the first floor in the first labyrinth, and also gives you the world map to explore. Um, but it caps your characters at level 10. But uh, substantial. That's yeah. Know, that's I mean, a like hours a game. I mean, like I spent probably five or six hours on the demo, like just cool. wandering around, fighting monsters, like exploring, uh, making my party, leveling up, uh, allocating skill points, and my God, like I've. I've always sort of loved the idea of Etrian Odyssey, but in the past they've frustrated me for various reasons. But this one, I'm I'm hooked. Like I can't wait for it to come out now. And a big part of that is probably the like the social features, how you can share your guild card and stuff. Because there's like treasure maps where every character gets um, like an assortment of I think five randomly assigned treasure maps. And you can only send them by, like, putting them on your little guild card, which is, like, a card that shows your the name of your guild, your party, um, the name of your airship, and then, like, your characters and everything. And you can attach a map and then send it to people through the QR codes. And then those people can download your maps and they can go explore and find treasure. Yeah, and it's cool. There'll be a lot of QR codes given out. Like, like you can go to, like, the Atlas um, website and get, like, bonus items and bonus quests. RP Gamer has one. You know, I wonder who else might have one. I don't know, but it might be worth maybe, checking out when the game launches. Maybe a cool site that you read. They might have a cool quest that you can get, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Yes, but but uh, I just I, th- I just I think, think it's like cool that it's so substantial and that it carries over. Go ahead, sorry. I, I agree. I think that more companies need to do demos like that. Some jerk. Uh, I was going to say something else. Some guy in the industry said last week or a week ago that. Demos are bad for game sales. The idea is that you should force people to pay full price so that way you get the sale, whether the oh, game is good or bad. Yeah, I remember that. And so, I remember him saying something like, yeah, just like give them the least amount of control possible or something. Like, what? Yeah, so screw that guy. This is the opposite. And I I promise you, even on the RPG fan boards, people are going, wow, I don't like this series, but this demo sold me. I'm buying it. <laughs> because it's a substantial yep. demo that lets you really sample the game and all the time you spend on it gets transferred to the full game. And I think, too, what's attracting a lot of people to this one is, at least in my opinion, having played the other ones, the opening missions of this one are much, much better explained, much more accessible. The game is a lot easier in the intro sections. But what I've, what I've heard of the Japanese version is that it ramps up, which is, I think it's good because the series, I always liked it, but it's not very penetrable to newcomers. And right. this one explains itself much better. It gives you a chance to learn how to play the game before it. Then it's like, all right, you're dead now. And I think it, this is a great example of what I want to see happen in Dark Souls 2, which is that they keep the complexity of the game. They just make it the, the right parts of it more accessible. So when you first start the game, the game doesn't kick you and tell you to stop playing. It says, you know, here's how you play. Okay, now I'm going to try to kill you. There's <laughs> also the casual mode, which is cool. Um I tried playing on casual. This It's like Fire Emblem all over again. I was like, oh, good. Casual. It'll save me from getting stressed out. And then I was like, it's too easy. So I went back to normal mode, and I felt like the challenge was a lot more appropriate. But previous Etrian Odyssey games, it's like you make your party, and you walk into the dungeon, and the freaking like, bunnies will one-shot your party. <laughs> it's not that bad. It is. No. It so is. Yes, it is. If Like a level one party, if you if you don't have a good setup, or if you, I guess if you like don't equip yourself properly, because uh, they you know they give you like a tiny bit of money at the beginning. So if you don't wear the right stuff, you'll go in and like on I 
really? Like, you've never gone into the first floor and gotten killed, horribly slaughtered by some random encounter on the first floor? Didn't you realize Steven's better at every video game than we ever will be? I, no, I don't ever say that. No, he no, doesn't. I, I think with uh, with Etrian Odyssey, for me, it's because it's not a challenge thing. It's a you have to sit at the fl- front floor of the dungeon and grind once or twice. Hmm. And this one doesn't require you to do that, at least in the intro. Well, uh, we're getting a little long in the tooth, so do we want to move on into news? Let's. So why don't you go ahead and start and talk about your David Cage thing before I move on to the rest of the news? <laughs> okay, all right. Rob, Rob loves David Cage. Okay, David. That should have been in the best couples feature. <laughs> Rob, Rob, and David Cage, lovers for life. Okay, David Cage. I'm I'm totally okay. So this is the guy that made Indigo Prophecy and Heavy Rain, and now he's going to be making uh, Beyond Two Souls with What's Her Face from Juno. He gave he uh, he gave this talk at Dice, and he was talking about how games need to grow up, and he laid out nine different points on how games need to grow up. And now I I thought there were some little gems in there. Um, I, I like his comment about how consumers need to stop buying bad video games i i totally agree with that like there's a reason i didn't buy dead space 3 there's a reason i haven't bought a call of duty since call of duty 4 not necessarily that they're bad games but i'm looking for different experiences so i'm not going to support something that i don't agree with that's why i bought the new devil may cry because it's awesome and stop complaining about it thank you um but a lot of the things that he brought up in this dice talk, I'm just shaking my head and going, you do, you do realize that you are David Cage and you, in fact, made Heavy Rain, right? Um, he talks about how we need that video games only fit into like three categories. They're either like baby games or uh, violent murder simulators. And I'm like, uh, where does Okami fit in on that one there, big guy? Or Final Fantasy, for that matter. Like, what is it? So, right there, I got a problem with him a little bit. He then goes on to talk about how we need to be, uh, uh, you know, the, the role of censorship in video games. And how he had a censor over his shoulder the entire time he was making Heavy Rain. Well, dude, when you show full frontal mo- nudity for no good reason and then meanwhile you don't have the stones to also show male full frontal nudity and you say things like oh i'm using sexuality as a storytelling tool and madison can just run around with her boobies hanging out i got a problem with you when you say that you're going to advance the position of women in games and then your opening scene for the woman is a rape scene or a, a rape nightmare and some of the deaths involve her getting drilled and i mean that with an actual drill yeah it's like, stupid. Yeah, I don't want to I, hear... I like Heavy Rain, but he was definitely being hypocritical, which he said he was guilty of some of the things he said. Yes, and I, I agree with that. And then he also talks about... Uh, it, this was the one that really got me. Um, well, two things. For, first, the whole violent murder simulators. I'm not going to point out the scene where Shelby just walks into a mansion and shoots 20 people through a quick time event. Yeah, you showed a lot of violence restraint in that one there, big guy. Good for you. Um, but my biggest complaint about 
all of these things that David Cage said, is that then he goes on to say that, oh, video games need to be more like Hollywood, and they need to be more like movies. And I said on our editor's board, yeah, because, you know, we don't have movies like Transformers that are screwing things up for the movie industry. Like, you, you can't sit there and say, like, I hate this... I hate this thing from some developers and some critics where they try to say, like, oh, video games aren't as good as movies, so we need to go for that. Look, I love movies. I'm a huge film buff. I love them. But there are some trash movies out there, just like there are some trash games. There are some beautiful artistic representations of film, just like there are beautiful artistic representations of games. And I get really tired of people saying that video games need to be more like movies. What do you mean by that? Do you mean in terms of narrative? Do you mean in terms of story? Do you mean in terms of visuals? Shouldn't video games be striving to do their own thing in the medium? Why are you talking about things like hiring Hollywood writers? That hasn't really worked out very well for the games industry. Like, I I get it. Most video game stories, most is probably a little strong, but a lot of video game stories aren't very well told, but... It's like he it's like he feels bad that he's a video game designer, like he's a failed film critic that can't handle the fact that now he makes video games, and it really freaking annoys me. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Man, I I, oh, I, I was just No, I, I agree <laughs> with everything you just said. Mm. I and I and and to the man's credit, he did point out that he was not perfect and heavy rain had some problems, and I give him that, but I just I'm really tired of people listening to this guy or or listening to people like this in general, people that aren't willing to acknowledge the good things that video games do and how we can make things better and talking out one side of their mouth while still doing the other thing. It's my hope that Beyond Two Souls maybe comes through with all this stuff. But you know what? The guy's made how many games? Yeah. Two, and I like them both. (laughs) Right, and that, that's cool that you liked him, but like, you know, let, let's talk. Let's talk, for example, about narrative. How can he sit there and say that video games need to go for a higher narrative when we have that plot twist in Heavy Rain that makes you go, "Uh, you just cheated." Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, so, I mean, I, mo- I don't think the thing is his example of saying, "Oh, movies are," we need to be able to like movies. Movies cheat all the time. Like, yes, that, that's saying that movies aren't faulty often. I just I, I don't I don't want to talk anymore about it. I'm just I'm really that thing really really irritated me, and I'm I don't want to make this show about me versus David Cage, but I just I'm really tired of his arrogance. I really yeah. am, and until he makes until he goes out there and does what he's trying to say, then I don't want to hear from him. If Beyond Two Souls, if he literally hits each of those nine bullet points, cool. But whatever. All right, Derek, you keep going. And, with your new and that's the problem. You've got passion. I appreciate that. All right, so got a, a fairly eclectic mix of news items today. So the first thing is uh, we just found out about, um, we found more details, rather, about Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen. Um, that's kind of like a 1.5 version of Dragon's Dogma, since it has the original game included in there, and you can export your save data from the original game to use it. Um, it's going to add new stuff, like a new area with treasure and new enemies um, called Bitter Black Isle. Uh, new skills and la-di-da stuff. Um, it's going to come out as a physical disc and a download for PS3 and 360. Uh, retails for 40 bucks, and it will be out April 23rd, North America, April 26th, Europe. I'm excited for that because I didn't play Dragon's Dogma, but I'm also like, really? Really? You're going to make people buy this game that includes the original game? You couldn't just... Hey, it's yeah. Capcom, isn't it? They did Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3. Yeah, they... Isn't it available really... just as DLC, too? No. 
No, oh, wow. it's not. And that's if they had a like, I'm probably going to pick this up uh, because Dragon's Dogma was one of those games that very uh, divisive. Some people really liked it. Some people didn't. I think I might be in the like it category. So I, I want to give it a try. But like so this works out for me because I didn't play the original and I don't own it. But yeah, really, you're making people buy it again for some new content. Why don't I mean, if you care, then that's cool. But Mm. I, like, I wasn't interested in the game in the first place, so I, I wouldn't buy it. But people who got a lot of enjoyment out of it will probably be like, yeah, well, okay, sure. I mean, yeah. it sucks that they have to buy it again altogether. But it... I, I just think the game was uh, apparently a pretty big success in Japan as a new IP. And so I don't want them to be, like, you know, cutting their knees off right at the beginning and maybe hampering a new IP by some bizarro DLC tactics. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really like that, but... Mm. I guess it works out for me, so I can't complain too much. But yeah, all right. Uh, moving on. Next up, uh, Dreamfall Chapters by Red Thread Games has actually finished its funding. Um, we wrote a new story about it before it had finished, but it has now surpassed its goal of eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Cha-ching! Um, so they've got some stretch goals going on for that. Uh, at nine hundred thousand dollars, there are going to be Mac and Linux versions available. Uh, $950,000, there's going to be a thing called the Lore Master. Well, that's what they called the goal. Um, they're going to add an in-game library with books and lore. And at $1 million, um, the goal is called A Longer Journey. It's gonna, they're going to include new locations, characters, and stories. So good for them. Uh, Longest Journey was a cool game. I didn't finish it. And same with Dreamfall. Played it, did not finish it. But that's neat for them. They are cool yeah. adventure games. It was one of my favorite adventure games ever, and I think a lot of people probably feel the same way. Yeah, it's it's good. It's one of those like I sought it out way after it came out. I mean, we're talking like three years ago. I found it and I was like, oh, this game. So I tried. It's it. incredibly slow to start, but once you get into the story, it gets really good. Yeah, it's a pretty cool game. All right. Um, next up, this one is relevant to my interests. Uh, the Final Fantasy fourteen A Realm Reborn beta is going to be starting uh, on the twenty fifth of this month. Oh, I, rem- I gotta um, remember to sign up for that beta. Dang. Yeah, you gotta. There, you still can. Um, if you have a legacy account, meaning you've paid for at least three months of game time since uh, version 1.0, then you will automatically get in. You don't have to do anything. Um, so beta phase one starts on the 25th. Um, coming up to the beta, there's going to be a some kind of media deluge probably because um, they're on a media tour right now. So they'll be releasing probably screens, maybe a new trailer. Um, there's a benchmark that should be coming out any day now. Um, so that'll be cool. And that beta is going to be four phases. Um, they're going to introduce more content gradually throughout the beta. And up in phase four, the final phase of the beta, everything is going to carry over to the full game, which will be launching shortly following that. Cool. Hey, final so, yeah. phase it, T. <laughs> Good luck to him. Uh, let's hope it's, it goes a little better this time. No, nah, man. I can't say anything, but it's... Because I was in the alpha NDA, so I can't say anything about it, but it's uh, it's shaping it's a up game. to be way better. It's a game. All right. So um, Axis, who is one of those amazing publishers that chooses super niche stuff, is localizing another Otome game. Um, this game is called Sweet Fuse at Your Side. And it is an Otome dating game uh, where you play as a girl and you date guys, kind of like Hakuoki. Uh, you play as Saki Inafune, the niece of Keiji Inafune of Mega Man fame. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Tell me that the all right. Tell me there's a character in the game who dates you because she goes, "You're related to Keiji Inafune, right?" Ask him about Mega Man. God, I hope so. 
but Axis is good at localizing, so maybe they'll sneak something like that in, even if it isn't in the script. But uh, yeah, it's about a girl that basically is at a theme park and disaster strikes as the Ferris wheel explodes at the hands of a portly cigar-smoking Count Hogstein. And things have to happen, and then she probably gets to kiss some dudes. So that's all right. That's cool. Good for them. That's niche as heck. And it, oh, it's for PSP, I didn't say. Uh, should be out this year. And Nintendo had another uh, Nintendo Direct just the other day on Valentine's Day. They it announced a lot much... of things. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's okay. But it was pretty much Nintendo taking the gauntlet off and going, whoop, and dropping it on the ground and going, okay. Yep. The thing that's relevant to us here at RPG Fan is they announced uh, Mario & Luigi Dream Team, which is a new entry in the Mario & Luigi saga. Cool. And it looks remarkably well-developed at this point. Like, they just announced it, and they're like, oh, here, like, check out all this media. Like, they, they just did a little trailer, but um, it looks good, and I don't want to rag on Sticker Star because I don't want to hurt uh, Tucker's feelings, but... This looks a lot better just from the limited footage I've seen. It seems to have RPG elements, and uh, it looks cool. It's going to be out this summer, so I'm looking forward to that. Is it wrong that one of the main games I want to play on my 3DS is Luigi's Mansion 2? No, that game looks so cool. I, I That's one of those games I didn't play, but I, I really wanted to. Like It looks oh. so different and so it's wild. Fun. Yeah, it's goofy. And the last piece of news I have here is... Um, of less note, I guess, since it's already out. But um, East 1 and 2 Chronicles Plus just came out on Steam on Valentine's Day. Because Exceed loves us. And because they wanted to give us another opportunity to buy East 1 and 2 for the third time. Fourth I guess time. Atlas released uh, East 1 and 2 for DS here. But yeah, they're slightly updated versions of East 1 and 2. Um, they're always packaged together these days because they make a story that... like It's, it's like a, package, a story package. It doesn't make sense to play East 1, because like, you, you beat East 1, and it's like, all right, now you're going to the next place, and then it ends, and you're like, oh. So, uh, it's cool. It's got Steam achievements and stuff, and we'll have a review of that, actually. I believe Kyle's reviewing that, so that should be up on the site soon. Cool, cool. That is it for news. Awesome. Good job, Derek. Uh, so, as usual, uh, thank you for listening to Random Encounter. Make sure to give us subscriptions at, through the RSS feed and iTunes, and make sure to give us reviews. We love to read reviews. We heard you guys on the Retro Podcast, so I'm really hoping to talk about maybe System Shock 2 on the next episode, and then maybe one of, one of those Shadow Hardy games that we've been promising for a while. Because Lord knows I'm probably not going to play any more Nino Cooney, so I need something to play. <laughs> so yeah. Play Grandia 2. Where can I play Grandia 2? It's on PS2, PC also. PC, Dreamcast. Is it on PC? Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's it's a port of the PS2 version, which wasn't a great port, but it's still... Yeah, it's kind of wonky, but it's there. Okay, well, I, don't, I don't have it on PS2, but... Uh... Oh, it's not on Steam. Screw it, never mind. Yeah, I, I wish. If it was on Steam, I would have played it like 10 times again. Cool. Is it on like good old games, or...? No. It's oh. a Dreamcast game, dude. Oh, Really? Huh. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'll, well, I'll look into playing that. Uh, and then, gentlemen, uh, this is your chance to plug your podcast. Yeah. Uh, so Derek and I started a new podcast uh, called Rhythm Encounter. Uh, the first episode is not up yet, um, but it's a show kind of like our Music of the Year episode where we'll be talking about uh, different albums we've recently reviewed. Um, and then every show is going to have half the show is going to be albums we've recently reviewed. We're going to discuss and play some music from them. And then we're going to talk about a special topic 
since this will be out first, the topic for our very first episode is Dreamcast Classics. Uh, we, Derek and I talked about all kinds of awesome Dreamcast RPGs and one adventure game. Um, so, yeah, if you like game music, if you enjoyed our Music of the Year show, uh, that will be out very soon. We are just waiting for our awesome title music. So it will be out very soon. Awesome, awesome. Well, guys, good luck on that. Maybe am I allowed to come on at some point? We want if a guest you... in every episode. So... Only if you bring me some sausages. What? I still don't get that reference. It's the per- oh, it's a Persona Four. It's oh. Dojima. There's a sound clip of, oh. of Dojima from Persona Four saying, "Nanako, get me some sausages," and so oh. on. It's oh. funny. And okay. I said, "Ha ha." Okay, Derek. All right. Maybe I won't come on that podcast. But uh, no, yeah, come no, on, please. No, no, good job starting up that podcast, guys. So yeah, definitely listen to uh, Rhythm Encounter. It, it will uh, hopefully not take away from our own podcast. We'll make sure to get you guys on here as regulars. And that way we can talk about video game music one place and current video games or old school stuff on the we're other. Not, we're not going exactly. anywhere. They're meant Sorry. to be. They're meant to be compliments. Not, that's why we named it Rhythm Encounter, because it's like Random Encounter, but slightly different. So they, they are... Two halves of the same whole, so. Yes. Well, sounds good. So, uh, yeah, for Rob, for Derek, for uh, Stephen, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see y'all later. Did you just outro yourself in the third person? Did I really? You did. You said for Rob. That's a great. He's way to worthy of that. Yeah, he deserves it. Yeah, we're keeping that in there because I am that tired. All right. Yep. Well, thanks everybody.